0: Good morning. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We're in John chapter 4 verses 31 through 42. Meanwhile the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages, and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world.
1: Well, in our, we're in our second week of Advent, our third week of Advent, sorry, a season of waiting, which is leading up to the birth of Jesus. And we're in our, in our series in the Gospel of John We find ourselves for the second week uh, dealing with the the story of of Jesus' interaction with a woman at a well in a Samaritan town. And now we normally wouldn't think about this story, the Jesus' interaction with a Samaritan woman at the well, and then his interaction with his disciples and the town itself, we normally wouldn't think of that as an Advent or a Christmas Story, but it's actually a really beautiful picture if you'll pay attention this morning of of why Jesus came and who He came for. Why Jesus came and who He came for. At Advent, Brianna reminded us uh, in our devotional, is about light coming to our darkness, and this story, an account of a thirsty Jesus stopping at a well that he shouldn't have stopped at, is actually a story about our and your, about your and my, our deepest thirst and our deepest hunger and the love of God that satisfies that hunger and that thirst. That's in fact what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He's talking about thirst. And he's talking about hunger. Hunger and thirst are the two most basic, elemental, primal needs that we have to eat and to drink, food and water. And because of that, they create, because they're our most elemental need, they create the strongest drives and desires that we have. If you hear someone who is truly hungry and thirsty, not not just like, like you and I, like I'm hungry right now because I haven't eaten since early this morning, but like truly lacking food or water, truly hunger, hungry or thirsty, then you know that they don't have the energy or attention to be driven by any other drive that drives us, like wealth or sex, power, security, comfort. If you are truly hungry and thirsty, those drives overwhelm the other drives that we have. They all fade if we don't have Food, or we don't have water. And it's those elemental desires that Jesus keys on in this Samaritan town here. And we see the reason that he came and what he's offering us. We see the reason he came and what he's offering us. So let's catch up on the story and and what's been happening. If you didn't get it, by the way, if you didn't get a, a chance to catch last week's sermon given by David Duran, you should definitely check it out. Go on the podcast or the, the website, and you can check it out. I can't cover all that stuff, but we'll just catch up with the story what's going on. Jesus has been traveling with his disciples, and he, it says that he had to. We don't know why. We think the, the Father directed him. He had to travel through Samaria. It was a place that a Jewish rabbi would not normally travel through in order to get to Galilee. And he's tired. It says he's weary. We know he's hungry because the disciples all go into town to go find some food. And we know that he's thirsty because he asked the woman, when she comes up in the here, the middle, the heat of the day, she asks, he asked her, would you draw me some water? He looks at her. This Jesus, weary, hungry. He's thirsty. It's the middle of the day. And I think he sees in this moment as he he looks at this woman who was at the well at a time of day when no woman would come by herself. She came there so she could be by herself. She came there because, we believe, because there was shame around her. She had shame about who she was, what she had done, what she was doing. And he looks at her and as he begins to interact with her, I think he begins to see, oh, this is why the Father has me here. He he says, "Would, would you give me a drink of water? And she says, oh, basically, like, why are you talking to me? You're a Jewish man. Why would you talk to me? And he says, look, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't... I wouldn't just be asking you to draw me some water out of this well. You would ask me to give you living water. For those that I give living water to will never thirst again. And she says, tell me more about this living water. I I would like to know because every day as a a woman in that village, she would have to come out to get her daily water needs out of that well and take it back home. She says, tell me more about this water. Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Look at what Jesus is saying. This is what he's saying. Jesus is telling, first of all, he says, I came for the thirsty. This is who I came for. I came for those who are thirsty. And do you know how you and I show our thirst? The same way that this Samaritan woman did, by looking for refreshment for life in all the wrong places. One of our actual, our undying thirst is actually a thirst for God Himself. That's what Jesus is telling this woman. He says, I will do. If you would ask me, I would give you of myself. So much so I will pour my spirit within you. So much so that not only will you never thirst again for all those other things, all those other places to find your thirst quenched, but... And all those relationships and all those uh, people telling you, I love you and I care for you. Think of what this woman's story must have been like to be a single woman in this kind of environment, this kind of culture, would be incredibly scary. You would need the protection and care of a man. You would need someone who would care for you and show you, I actually love you and care for you. Your desires would be crying out like our desires for for food and her desires for water. Her desire was pouring out of her, I need that. And Jesus says, if you would ask of me, I would fill that deep desire that you've been looking for so much so that you would never thirst again. And he says, this is what I came to do. I came to give, to give, to give you living water. He says, and this is remarkable, he says, I came to give you myself, that's what he's saying. I I came to bring you, not only came to give you myself, but I came to, to bring you to myself. Not just to come to you and hope you would see me, but I came to bring you to myself and to put my life into your dead and dry soul, to put my spirit within you so that your life story would no longer be a searching for water in all these places that you cannot find it, but a conscious Overflow of life and joy and love from a union, a reunion with your maker. So then he says, hey, call your husband. Let's talk. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had five husbands. The man that you're living with now isn't your husband. That's the reason. He's at her heart. That's the reason I met you here in the middle of the day. No other woman would come. Uh, you, you tried coming before in the morning. In the cool of the day, whenever all the other ladies would come, and they would share a little gossip and say, hello, how are you doing? You tried to come because you would come to the well and they looked at you. They whispered to each other. They made little side comments to you. Oh, you were covered with shame so you came here in the middle of the day. But this is why that you were here. This woman, she He's getting too close to her heart. And so she says, Hey, uh, she starts talking about theological issues like David talked about last week. And then she says this I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he does, he will tell us all things. Something's happening to her. He's told her too much about her life and herself for her to overlook this man and this moment. And Jesus says, I who am speaking to you am he. You know what Messiah meant? I the one who is coming to save. She says, I know my, the Savior is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says, I am he. And at that moment, the disciples come up. They brought back some food and they marvel. Why is this, why is Jesus talking to this woman? This is improper. It is, it's not, not only is it improper, but it is, uncouth. it is. It would destroy his reputation. He's talking to a woman in public, a woman of ill repute, a woman who is also a Samaritan woman. She is the most unlikable and unlikely that you can imagine. And she runs into town as Jesus talks with his disciples. And she says, come see a man who told me everything about me, all that I ever did. Could he be the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior? And that's where our story picks up this morning. While she is running through the town, telling people this woman who came to the well in the middle of the day so that nobody would notice her, nobody would look at her, nobody would talk to her, nobody she wouldn't have to deal with or look at her own shame, When she, all of a sudden when she meets Jesus and he goes to her heart and he speaks love and value to her, all of a sudden she runs back to the town of all those people that have been talking about her, all those people have been looking at her wrongly, all those people, and she runs and says, come see this man. And while she is running around this town telling them pe- those people that, he takes a moment and talks to his disciples. His disciples say, hey, rabbi, they know he's hungry, right? He's hungry, he's thirsty, he's tired. They're concerned about him. They say, rabbi or teacher, eat. But he says to them, mm, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples say to one another, like, what what food is he talking about? Is somebody else bring him some food? And Jesus said to them, he said this, my food is to do the will of the him who sent me and to accomplish his word. Now look what has happened. Jesus was weary. At the beginning of the story, he was weary. He was tired. He was thirsty. He was hungry. He was, we know that to be true. And it had been long enough since he had eaten that the disciples are concerned about him. They say, Rabbi, you need to eat. But something has changed since they left him, something's changed. Jesus shrugs them off. He says, I got something going on here. Guys, I want you to pay attention to this. I've got something going on here that is better and more important than a meal. Food is sustenance, it it sustains you. It, It gives you energy and nourishment and Jesus says, what I am doing right now, guys, is my nourishment. It nourishes me. It sustains me. I'm doing the Father's will. And do you know what the Father's will was that he was doing? He was sharing the life-giving water with a thirsty soul. And at that very moment, that thirsty soul was sharing all over the town about the fact that she had met possibly the Christ, the Messiah, and they were all about to come to him. And Jesus says, this is what I came to do. This is food and nourishment for me. He was sharing the good news, the good news of who He was and what He came to do and who He came for. He came to be their Savior of those who are hurting and thirsty and hungry and down and out, he came for them, the unlikely and the unlikable. He is sharing the good news that he, of who he was and what he came to do. He was building faith in God and himself. And he says, This, this, this is true sustenance, is true food for my hunger and for your hunger. See, Your problem, my problem, the problem isn't that your and my hunger and thirst, we live hungry and thirsty lives for all kinds of things, all kinds of drives and desires, right? The problem isn't that your hunger and thirst is so strong. Think of all the ways that your desires have driven you to do things, that if you look back, you wouldn't even think that you would recognize yourself. If you had known back before what you would do, driven by those drives and desires, you wouldn't imagine that you were capable of those things. Your problem isn't that your drives and desires are too strong. The problem with you and me is that we accept inferior satisfaction for our drives and desires. We accept inferior satisfaction for our deep hunger and thirst. You see, your and my, our great thirst in life is to know God. That's why he says, if you would ask me, I would give you rivers of living water that would stream out of you. I would give you myself, he said, but I would give you union with me. I would put my spirit even within you. We would be so tight, you would be reunited with your, your maker, your creator, your God. Your great thirst in life is to know God, and your great hunger in life, hear this, your great hunger in life is to do his will. That's your true great hunger in life, is to do God's will, is to accomplish his particular mission for your particular life. That is your greatest drive and desire. But here's the question, what are you feeding yourself? If that is the base of who you are, is your deepest drive and desire, what are you actually feeding yourself with? Maybe it's just to get through the day. Or maybe it's to build a comfortable life. I want to build a, a comfortable life. Maybe it's to be entertained. If I can just get through this part of my day, then I can numb myself. I can watch shows, movie, Netflix. I can look on social media. I can do anything to distract and entertain me. Maybe it's just to get through school or to build a great family or a great life. To build yourself to have a comfortable bank account level. That's what you're feeding yourself. The question is, how is that doing feeding your soul? Are you satisfied? Or do you go to bed at night wondering, I wonder if there is more to this life. I wonder, is this all that there is? Are you satisfied? Or do you hunger for more? What if, what if your Heavenly Father has a bigger mission for you than just getting through the day or building a comfortable life or followers on whatever social media platform or being good-looking, fit, smart, Whatever the thing, the the golden apple for you is, what if he has a bigger mission for you in your life? What if he has called you, like he called Jesus, to join him in his mission, into Jesus' mission? What if he's called you to be on the same mission that Jesus was on? The same mission that led him to head through Samaria, a place that would be shameful for a teacher of the Jewish law to go, and to stop at this well and to see this woman and to have a conversation with her who was the most unlikely and unlikable that he could meet. What if he has a mission for you, like Jesus did, that led to a, this whole town coming to faith? John Piper said this about the story. He says, so Jesus shakes up our world again here. We are concerned about the nourishment that comes from eating. He is concerned about the nourishment that comes from loving. What What does God have in store for you and those around you that you miss by feeding yourself with inferior nourishment day by day by day? The problem isn't that you have a drive, that you have drives and desires, it's that they are too easily satisfied by that which does not truly satisfy. You see, I know this about you. You, every single person in this room, you have a deep, driving desire to do something, to accomplish something something, to know that your life counts for something, but yet you have not found anything that truly, deeply satisfies you in our society, our culture, our country, our day and age, provides a smorgasbord of options to choose from. Any number of things to distract yourself with, any number of wells for you to seek nourishment and and satisfaction from. You desire for your life to count, to live for something, to do something, but nothing lasts. Your accomplishments don't last. You need more and more and more. But yet here we see Jesus who is, yes, fully God, but also a man who hungered and thirsted like everybody else. He found something, a life goal, a lifetime occupation. He found something that deeply satisfied him to the point that he lost his sense of hunger when he was fulfilling it. Jesus is driven by the mission the Father had sent him to. The mission the Father had sent him on. The big picture was that his life, his death, the cross, his resurrection on the other side, but he also had daily missions, daily appointments that God, his Father, had for him, like this trip through Samaria, his trip to this well, his trip to this woman, the most unlikely and unlikable that you could imagine. Jesus told the disciples this, do you not say, There are four months and then comes a harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white or ripe for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Uh, We're not really sure exactly who he's talking about here, but I believe that he's talking about himself and he's talking about the woman that he met at the well that at this very moment is sharing the good news of the Messiah in that tale for here the saying holds true one sows another reaps I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now, there's too much here to unpack this morning, but, but here's the big news of what Jesus is saying. I want you to get this from this, this part of the passage. He said, number one, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. And since I have come, there, we're in a season of harvest. There's no more barrenness. You are assured, when he's telling them, who he's going to send out into all the world, by the way, he's telling them you are assured of a harvest, and you get to reap what others have sown. That's the prophets, the believers who have come before, but mostly what Jesus has sown whenever he laid his body down in the tomb and was risen again. Now, here's the biggest thing I think he wants to get across to them. He wants them to see what one commentator, Bruce Milne, I read, called the urgent opportunity of the mission that's in front of them. He's telling them, look, there are souls, people, in this city, in this town, I was just talking to one of them at the well here who are lost. They live under judgment, and it seems impossible. They had been, they had been, the Samaritans had been distanced from the Jews for generation upon generation because they differed deeply about how and where you should worship God. And it seemed like impossible that they would come to Jesus, but Jesus is telling them the Jews who hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans who hated the Jews that made it so unlikely. But here in this brief moment, this tired moment, Jesus had pierced a heart that was hard, that was previously hard, that was desperately thirsty for something more. And now that thirsty town is about to come out to him. And he's saying, don't miss the harvest. Look, the field, look around you. The field is ready for harvest. Don't just sit around, get out there, guys. He's telling them, go out there to the harvest that is ready. The fields around you are white. Look at this town. Nobody thought the Samaritans in this town would welcome me. Nobody thought they would have any interest in me. Nobody thought they would have any interest in the true word. But here, they are about to run out to me and I'm gonna spend a couple of days with them and they're gonna confess, these Samaritans, the town of unlikely and unlikables are gonna come to me and confess that I am the Savior of the world because they're going to believe in me. The, The fields, the unlikely fields are white and ready for harvest. And he's saying this is my true food and mission to do God's will. And this is your true food and mission to do God's will, to join him on his mission. I believe this is an important sermon for you. I believe it's an important sermon for our church at this moment. Because this is the kind of sermon that can change your life. Not because I'm a great preacher. Because if we hear Jesus' heart and his words this morning, it can change your life. It's because the point that Jesus is making here is meant to reframe how we live our lives is to reframe how we think about our lives. What he means to do is to challenge us on how we live our lives, what we consider necessary and what we consider important. And if you are gonna follow Jesus, if you're gonna believe in him, if you're gonna call him Lord, if you're gonna sing the songs that we were just singing, they call him Savior and King and Lord, if you're gonna do that, then Jesus' message here must, must, it must change your life. It must change your life either right here and now on the spot, or you're going to have to leave here and wrestle with his words. Wrestle with the Lord himself until you submit. Or if you do not, then he will, your heart will grow hardened towards him and more and more distant. And that's this question. What will you do with the call of Jesus to join him on his mission? I'm not talking about just throwing a few dollars towards a missionary I'm not talking about just volunteering occasionally, but what will you do with his call to his disciples, to you, his disciple, to hear, will you join me in my mission to reap fruit for eternal life? That's what he's talking about. This whole town are going to come to him and believe. How must you, this is a question I want you to think about, how must you radically redesign your life around joining Jesus in his mission to gather new believers how must you radically redesign your life around joining Jesus in his mission to gather new believers to be engaged in the sowing and reaping for eternal life because this age that we live in is a time of harvest There are always fields around us that are white or ready to be harvested. Why would we, why would you and I individually and why would we as a church be satisfied with minimal or no harvest? Jesus says this is important enough. This is the food that sustains me in my life. And this is what I've called you to as well. Then we see this happen. we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. You know what happens in this town? Do you realize it? Revival breaks out. This town, Sychar... A, a Samaritan town, the only town that we hear responding exactly like this in the Gospels, a Samaritan town of half-breeds who don't fully believe the right, uh, the right things about the Word of God, who would have looked down and beheld a Jewish rabbi at, their, at a distance. All of a sudden, this town, in this town, they experienced a spiritual awakening. And this town responds with more clarity than any other that we see during Jesus' ministry. And do you you see who first carries the message of the Lord to this town that ends up believing? The unlikely and the unlikable. You see, the Samaritans were unlikable to the Jews. They were mixed with non-Jews, which was unlawful. They stubbornly held to their wrong, mixed idea of Scripture. They worshiped in the wrong place in the wrong ways. The Jews didn't like them, and they didn't like the Jews. They were unlikable. But you know what else? They were incredibly unlikely to believe the words of a Jewish rabbi. Jesus being a teacher of the Jewish law would actually have lowered their likelihood to listen to him. And think of how the woman at the well went after Jesus with their bitter differences. They were, the whole town was full of the unlikable and the unlikely. And even among them, the woman who Jesus talked to at the well was even among the unlikables was unlikable. She was the unlikable of the unlikables. She lived with shame in her own town. No one would have asked her for water, much less had have a conversation with her from her own town. Her sin, her reputation, had tainted her. She was unlikable among the unlikables. And you know what? She was the unlikely among the unlikelies. She was the least likely among the people in that town to be effective as an evangelist. But here she is, this woman who's been married five times, we don't know the story behind that, but who is living now with a man who is not her husband, who is full of shame in her own village, now she is being more effective an evangelist than Jesus' own disciples back here. You know why? Because she's passionate and she believes that she's met the Messiah, her savior, and that not only that, not the savior, but he could be her savior. In that moment at the well, she realizes this might be the Messiah, and he's saying he could save me, even me, in my shame, even me in my bad decisions, even me among this town of Samaritans, even me, among the most unlikely among the unlikelies, the most unlikable among the unlikables, even me, he could be my Savior. And we see, you know what that does to her? In a moment, it changes her. That woman who would only come out to the well in the middle of the day when nobody would talk to her, all of a sudden she's running back to the village to tell everybody, I think I have met the Messiah. He told me all that I've ever done. Would you you need to come and see him? Think about how that seemingly chance meeting at a well in the middle of the day became a town-wide revival in that city. You know why? Because the unlikelies and the unlikables found out that they were loved. A town of unlikelies and unlikables found out they were loved. The last chapter of John that we are in. For God so loved the world that he gave His only son that whoever would simply believe. You have to bring a great offering. You have to make up all your mind about your difference between, between you and him, your difference between you and his word. Do you have to make yourself better? Do you have to leave that sin? Do you have to fix yourself up? Do you need a better track record than you have? Like, no, for God so loved the world, the broken, messed up, sinful world, the people who are the unlikables and the unlikelies. He so loved that world that he gave his only son that whoever would simply believe in him should have everlasting would not perish but would have everlasting life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that in order that the world might be saved through him and that savior that son Went to that town, at that well, with that woman, with those unlikables and those unlikelies, with the least unlikable and the least unlikable and the least unlikely. And he said, you know what? I came because I love you. He told me. She went. said, he told me all I've ever done. He exposed my heart. He showed me how thirsty I've been. He showed me how I go to all kinds of things for comfort, for security, for meaning and purpose. How I have, but I have to keep coming back to them over and over again, just like I have to come here for water every day, that they continue to leave me thirsty. Ah, oh, but he didn't just expose my heart. He didn't just expose the deep thirst of my soul. He offered me me the most unliked and the most unlikable he offered me living water he offered not just to take my thirst away but he offered to quench it he offered to quench it from a never-ending supply of living water he offered me himself he offered me union with god god loved her the father loved her and sent the son to, the, to that well, to her, and she met the one whose love would take him to the cross to die for her, the unlikely and the unlikable, and would be risen again so that she would have a hope, that woman who was stuck in hopelessness. Day in and day out and day in and day out. Can you imagine what that did to her when she realized what was happening? It exploded within her how amazing, precious, and world-changing that conversation was to that shame-filled woman. Can you imagine? and And all she did was run to the town full of those that had ostracized her and witnessed. She just told them what she had experienced with Jesus, and then they went and met him for themselves. And this is the offer for you today as well. The offer for you today is to have your thirst quenched from all the places that you have looked for quenching from, for all the drives and desires that you've tried to find answers for the deepest thirst and hunger of your soul. To have your thirst quenched in fellowship with God the Father through his Son and to have your hunger satisfied by taking your part in his mission to take the story to others. To have your thirst for fellowship with God quenched and to have your deep hunger to do something, to mean something with your life satisfied, to bring other thirsty and hungry people to the Savior of the world. And that's why this has been my prayer for months. I changed my prayer. One of the things I pray for our church. Pretty much daily. I say, Lord, bring us the hungry and the thirsty. Bring us the hungry and thirsty lost people. Bring us the hungry and thirsty Christians. And bring us hungry and thirsty leaders. Not the wealthy and the comfortable. If you're wealthy, hey, you're welcome to stay. But not the wealthy and the comfortable. You can be wealthy and uncomfortable. Not the wealthy and the comfortable. Not the righteous and the self righteous. Not the ones who look like they have it all together, and the worst, the ones who think they have it all together. Because that, that, that crew, that crowd, this gospel of Jesus that he came to declare to this Samaritan woman at that well and those, of the home of the unlikelies and the unlikables, that gospel is too radical for that crew. They don't like to mix with the riffraff. But Jesus comes with a message that we are all riffraff. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. John says in in another one of his letters, if you don't confess that you're a sinner, you make God out to be a liar. Not just a cursory acknowledgement, like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a sinner. I I know I'm a sinner. I mess up. I mean a gut-level realization that you are continually sinning against the one and only good and holy God. you stirred by God, his love, because you feel just how much and unlikely and unlikable you are? Or would you rather go on pretending and distracting yourself than looking at Jesus, at this Jesus who shows you your heart like he did with this woman at the well? Would you rather be like the Jews in the surrounding towns, the Pharisees, the religious leaders who were so blinded by their own shallow, false sense of self-righteousness that they, unlike the Samaritans, miss the Savior of the world walking in their own towns and villages? And That's why I've been praying, Lord, rather bring us those who are hungry and thirsty and who are willing to admit it. Bring us those who, regardless of their wealth or their reputation or their background or their religiousness or their family or personal cost, who are hungry enough, like this group of unlikely and unlikable ones, to beg Jesus, would you stay with us? If you offer yourself, would you stay with us? Jesus, you're enough. Are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty for God? Are you hungry to do His will? How do you need to respond this morning? And don't be mistaken, you and I, we must respond. If if God is calling you to find thirst-quenching water with Him, to find uh, that the, the satisfaction for your hungry soul and doing his will then you must respond if he is calling you you must respond and what I say is do what you must do right now today this morning call out to him bow before him respond to his call say Lord you're calling me to ministry or you're calling me to do this with my life to change the course I'm responding I will do it reject that sin make it right with that person Come forward. Ask for prayer. Do whatever you have to do this morning to respond to the one who's standing before you in love and says, I am offering you the quench for your thirst and that which satisfies your deepest hunger. Whatever it is, respond to the Savior of the world today. Respond to your Savior today. He's calling and waiting with arms full of open, arms that are open, full of love. We're getting ready to partake of communion together. Communion for us is a tactile, physical reminder every week as we gather that he is welcoming us with arms that are open, full of love. That God who loves you died for you. That God who loves you bled for you he paid for your sin he paid for your brokenness so that not only could you come to him but he could bring you to himself and every morning as we gather on Sundays there's a station open on each side with the bread and the juice freely offered to those who have come to him the savior of the world I hope you'll come this morning as you come that you'll respond in whatever way he's calling you to respond to him today After I pray, the band will come up. It will come up and serve on both sides. If you're a believer in Christ, please partake today. If you're not a believer in Christ, don't leave here today without someone praying for you. Today can be your day, like this woman at the well, that the people in the town. Father, we thank you. Those of us who are hungry and thirsty, who have sought to satisfy it in everywhere other than you, even those who are believers who continue to try to find satisfaction and uh, thirst quenching in any place other than you, that you freely offer yourself, that you so loved the world, that you so loved us that you came. For the unlikely and the unlikables, I thank you for that. Fill us with awe at that truth this morning. Speak to each person's heart how you're calling them to respond to you this morning so that our lives reflect your mission and your passion. And we'd be able to say like Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. This is his name we pray.